What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says why? Because we like you. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And this is going to be part two of our discussion about copyright, uh, creativity, and, and the future of intellectual property. This was based on an email from our listener, Dave. So if you haven't heard part one of this discussion, go back to our last podcast, listen to that episode, then come back. And dive right into this one. Because it's in medias race, y'all. That is correct. Mm-hmm. But let's talk a little bit about alternatives to uh, this copyright. Just the, the, if we, if you're an artist and you want to create a work and you want to have some protection of your work, but you also want people to be able and, and feel, um, uh, the, feel like they can totally take that work and tweak it in some way, make something new. Uh, rather than attaching a letter of intent to every single piece of thing that you create. Yeah. What do you do? Well, one thing you could do is use something like a public copyright license. 
which is a way for original authors to grant copyright permissions under specific conditions, depending upon whatever the license says. And there are a lot of different types out there, but the most famous would be the Creative Commons license. And uh, this came about because there were a group of people who were saying, you know, I want to create a way for creators to be able to put their works out and have that peace of mind, but also to encourage creativity in the community. So not just be, um, you know, a, a black and white, don't use my stuff. It is guarded for my entire lifetime plus another 70 years. <laughs> uh, so copyright doesn't really have that flexibility, right? There, there aren't grades of copyright. So you have to create these licenses. And licensing is one of those things that most people don't have you know, the the ability to do. You need lawyers in there. And it, it's just one of those things where if you are an individual artist, you might feel like you don't have uh, a means of doing this. That's where Creative Commons came in, not-for-profit organization that did this work on the behalf of artists mm-hmm. so that artists can then use these licenses free of charge and define how their work may or may not be used. Uh, the organization itself was founded in 2001 and released its first set of licenses in 2002, which was version 1.0. Uh, they revised those licenses over time. And uh, here are some of the, actually, here are the six main ones. Uh, so here are the six main types of Creative Commons license. The CCBY license, which allows others to use your original work as they see fit, even for commercial purposes, as long as they attribute you for the original creation. So this is their widest, like the, like the mm-hmm. one that has the most leniency, right? So if I create something and Joe, you you think, I'm going to remix that work and then I'm going to end up selling it on, you know, some music site. You could totally do that under this license. There's nothing preventing you from doing it. And I've given you permission through that license, even if, even though my original work is technically under copyright. Though I would think a question might be, how do I attribute you? Well, like, yeah. uh, can I do it in some little piece of fine print somewhere or do T- I need to? Technically, it depends. But I mean, yes, you could like for something like a song. It tends to be within the data, like the metadata for mm-hmm. the song. Mm-hmm. Um, you wouldn't have to have an announcement on, before the song starts. Like, I remix this song from <laughs> Jonathan Strickland and it was cool, but I made it cooler. <laughs> Enjoy. You wouldn't have to do that. Uh, yeah, there, there are specific rules. These are the basics of, yeah. of Creative Commons. Right. There, there are very specific rules laid out on their website. Exactly. Uh, next is the CCBY-SA, which lets other, others build on your work like the one I just mentioned, uh, even for commercial use. But those who do also must abide by the same agreement. So that means that uh, I would grant Joe the permission to remix my work. Mm-hmm. But as part of that agreement, Joe also has to license it under this same type of Creative Commons license. So, uh, then, so that I could take Joe's work and transform it into my own. Exactly. And you would have to continue uh, uh-huh. to agree. Yeah. So this is supposed to be to, to foster creativity and sharing. Uh, the, the pay it forward model. Yeah. yeah. And Wikipedia operates under this particular Creative Commons license. Next, you have the BY-ND Creative Commons license, which allows for redistribution for commercial and non-commercial use, but the work cannot be changed in any way and must remain whole with credit to the original author. So you could freely distribute this work, but you couldn't chop it up. You couldn't remix it. You couldn't uh, you had you would have to you know keep credit to the original creator of the work. Uh, BY-NC allows for non-commercial tweaking and building upon an original work with credit to the original author. So 
you could do you could you know remix something to your heart's content, but you couldn't sell it. You couldn't make money from it. You couldn't generate revenue that way. Uh, By-nc-sa is the same as above, only now. All new creations must be licensed under those exact terms, so it's similar to what we were talking about before. Non-commercial use. Uh, I create something. Joe creates a remix. He has it under that same license. Lauren creates a remix. None, neither Joe nor Lauren can sell their stuff. I could technically sell mine, but mm-hmm. you couldn't sell the remixes of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, you have uh, BYNC, which lets others remix and build upon your work, but only for non-commercial use and also acknowledge the original owner. So uh, those are the six main types. There's also the ability to put work directly into the public domain, which is kind of cool. Uh, you do have to fill out some paperwork so that it acknowledges that you have relinquished ownership any of that work. Any rights to write. Mm-hmm. Any rights to write. Yeah, any rights to write. So uh, the idea here is, again, to give artists the ability, some options, you know, as opposed to just uh, either – full protection or you don't pursue any protection. You need to have some leniency in there so that you can you can foster creativity, but under the terms that you feel comfortable with so that you can still make money if that's what you're choosing to do with whatever, you know, whatever your work happens to be. Mm-hmm. So uh, right now, and we're going to look into the future of copyright, but right now, if nothing changes, the Steamboat Willie version of Mickey Mouse will enter the public domain in 2023. But that's not going to happen. <laughs> no, probably it? not. Yeah, because that's, that's creeping up. Yeah, coming up pretty quickly. <clears> I would <throat> imagine there are already some serious talks uh, behind closed doors, whether at corporations or Congress or both, about extending copyright protection even further than it has already been extended. Well, you know, Walt Disney's head and, you know, whatever. <laughs> Under the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Probably has something to say about it. Right. We watch too much Futurama. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so this is where we get into that that issue. You know, I, I think I think all of us agree that the creator of a work should at least be allowed for the expectation of generating revenue from that work in some way. Um, whether they pursue it or not is beside the point. They should at least have that expectation that that is an option. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... There's this balance between protecting that artist or owner and protecting the public and other artists who could uh, enhance that work or in, or, or uh, use that work in some other means, some other transformative means, without fear of being sued to the ends of the earth and back. And now that we have these corporations in place and the corporations, like we said, don't die of old age, they have every incentive to keep pushing that copyright limit until it's at truly ridiculous lengths. Mm-hmm. Some would argue that we're already there. I mean, well, life of the life of the creator yeah. in 70 years is a long time. You still can't sing the song Happy Birthday without paying without, royalties. Without, yeah, technically, yeah. Yeah. So that's um we won't be doing that today. Uh luckily it's no one's birthday. It's no one's birthday, right? <laughs> no. Happy, 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 happy. That's that's about as close as we're gonna get. So um <laughs> Yes. Birthday. So I'm guessing that we're going to see this continue. And we're also going to see more resistance, but it's probably going to be on the sort of independent artist side where you have artists who don't want to pursue this same 
pathway that corporations are pursuing and yet still need to make a living so that they can continue to make art. Oh, yeah. Um, So I think we're going to continue to see those those public uh, copyright licenses uh, being pushed. But um, but this is this is tricky. I I think we're going to I think we're going to just keep seeing actual official copyright law get more and more extended. Yeah. Now, Joe, before we recorded this podcast, we were just kind of talking over ideas. You brought up an interesting kind of sci-fi idea about uh, one element of copyright. What was that? Oh, well, it's this idea of fixed and a tangible medium. You yeah. remember that from earlier on? Mm-hmm. So your work, if you want to claim copyright on it, has to be fixed in a tangible medium. You have to write it down or record it if it's music. It, it can't just be something that was ephemeral and can no longer be accessed, like a thought or an improvisational performance that wasn't recorded right. or something like that. It, it can, however, be something that's, you know, written down on uh, in computer memory, which some people would argue doesn't seem terribly tangible because it feels like it's ethereal. But in fact, it actually is tangible. Sure. Well, that's one way in which we've extended the ways in which fixed and a tangible medium can apply to new types of things. So now that we have recording equipment, electronic recording equipment, you can record performances of music that might have been improvised on the spot. Sure. You know, Uh, sure. If you, if you want that a half hour jam session from Dave Matthews band, yeah, then they can copyright that. Yeah. Or or you you can even copyright a performance of a work that otherwise was in public domain. Uh, sure, of course, totally. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so we, by by adding this new technological recording capability, we're covering more of the types of works you can create under mm-hmm. copyright. And I wonder how far that can go. I mean, number one, I just wonder about, okay, so if we're recording more and more of our lives, if recording media become super pervasive, they already are very pervasive, how much more of the ephemera of our lives can be copyrighted and claimed as art can, you know, if you're just recording all the conversations you have with your friends, if can you, you record, copyright a conversation? Sure. Yeah. If you're recording all the humming you do, just random humming while you're walking around, if so, <laughs> someday later you hear a song, you're like, that sounds like something I hummed and you can go back, go back and to find your it. Files. Yeah. Are, are I, we giving I narrate pe- in song what I'm doing a lot, yeah. As everyone around the office, I think you knows. did it yesterday. Yeah, actually. yeah, yeah. <laughs> are, are, so, so I mean, like, like is my great hit? I'm going to the refrigerator. Going to be a breakaway pop thing next year. Well, just with the threat Can I of sue this, about it, <laughs> Sorry, it could ahead. have even more of a chilling effect on the creation of new works. Sure. Uh, if there's just more and more out there all the time that somebody could raise an issue with, like, hey, this sounds like something that I created once and didn't ever plan on doing anything with um and then if we want to get even weirder what if we think about the ability to scan our brains i mean obviously right now we don't have the ability to scan your brain with an eeg and say ah okay you're thinking of a yellow house on a coastline by a tree but the fact that you are having that thought is in some way physical and we could imagine in the future that there are might be ways that you could detect the contents of somebody's thoughts by yeah. scanning their brain. Your, your so brain then, is a tangible medium. Right. And so at that point is a recorded brain scan of an idea 
a, something that's fixed in a tangible medium. Well, I, the recording would be, but I would argue the memory itself is not fixed and tangible. It is tangible, but not fixed. But once ah. you scan it and make a recording. The scanning would be fixed, but not the idea. <laughs> That is true because memories change all the time. That's right. Every time we remember, we're just retry- we're trying to rebuild that original neural pathway that was formed upon the creation of that memory. But every time we remember, we alter that a little bit. So therefore, the memory itself cannot be fixed, but the re- the re- the scan itself could be. So then you would argue, well, the scan's protected, but does that protection extend to whatever the idea was? And if it were, was a specific idea, but then you went and wrote something else down, that would technically be a transformative work <laughs> because it wouldn't be exactly the way you thought of it when you created it. Would you have to sue your own brain? <laughs> I've often thought about suing my own brain, to be honest. There have been times where I just thought it's particularly whenever I'm feeling really good about myself. And then my brain digs up that memory of when I did something really terrible in elementary school and says, you're really a terrible person. You should remember that. Aww. <laughs> Yeah, that happens. That's not a joke. All right. So oh, anyway. no, no, me too. Yeah. Those are good times, Brain. Thanks, Brain. But uh, we've got a couple of other interesting points that Dave brought up, right? Uh, yeah. He asked in his email about fan-created derivative works, like fan fiction and stuff like that. Very good point. Yeah, yep. yeah. Th- this, there, and there's actually a lot of conversation uh, around this going on, or some conversation at the very least, um, because the Internet has allowed people to consume more and also to comment more. Yeah, it, it you know, we we see a lot of this development happen as technology allows for more expression, right? Oh yeah. The printing press obviously was one of those things that was going to push forward this concept because suddenly there was the capacity to copy works on a on a much larger scale than previous uh previously. And now we've gotten to a point where it is much easier to create a derivative work and distribute it right. globally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rather than internet. just, you know, writing a story and passing it around in class or sure. something like that. Yeah. And another thing is that we are living in an age where fan fiction and these kinds of derivative works actually can become big money makers. Right. It's not just something that's taking place for fun on the side. Like, think about, though, I hate to introduce it to the world of this podcast. Fifty Shades of Grey, it's an erotic novel series uh, that apparently began as Twilight fan fiction. And they're releasing the movie on Valentine's Day. How messed up is that? Well, let's not get into this movie. But anyway, this is is fan fiction that became a huge moneymaker. Originally fan fiction, at least. Yes. Uh, Yeah, it was deemed transformative enough that as long as the author changed the names... It, it was totally legit. <laughs> okay. Um, but, yeah. I mean, you can see why people would be concerned about this. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, and, and the concern goes back to basically the time at which uh, more people were getting access to the Internet. Back in the 90s and 2000s, huge corporations like Fox and Warner Brothers and Lucasfilm started sending out cease and desists and, and sometimes pursued greater actions against fan websites. Which sounds so crazy when you say it out loud. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but it was but it was especially the the kind of websites that were either operating under URLs that they wanted, right? Like um, StarWarsFan.com or something like that. Something like that, or um, HarryPotterWorld.co.uk. Right. Um, and and fans that were posting what these corporations deemed to be too much of their content. 
Um, now, in general, companies have backed off of lawsuits like this as long as fans have shown that they're not operating for profit. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, obviously, it's a it's a risky PR move to make to 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 go against your fan base, the people, oh, yeah. the people who are the most passionate supporters of your work. And then to say, uh, don't use the stuff you love. <laughs> uh, it seems oh, but like, they do it. I yeah. mean, you know. It, oh, it's, yeah. Yeah. A lot of the businesses behind beloved media these days don't really seem to care very much if the fans end up hating them. I mean, you could say the same thing about <laughs> like DRM and stuff. There sure. are mm-hmm. just lots of companies. They're making media that people love. They're taking tactics that people don't like, but well, to be like, fair, they, ah, where else are they going to go? They, these you corporations know? are also huge, and so it can always be that there are certain departments that are working with very different directives than other departments. Oh, oh, absolutely. I imagine that a lot of actual, say, recording artists are not necessarily fans of of the DRM rules. But oh, I'm sure. Stuff and things. Now, meanwhile, you know. there's another element to this internet world, right? Engagement. Oh yeah. Well, okay. So <laughs> it, it's it's all really complex because because you know, okay, fans are gaining access. To, to more media and to more online communities that encourage participation mm-hmm. in that media. Mm-hmm. Um, it, not just consumption, but actual participation. And so, and, and like you were saying, Jonathan, like it's kind of free marketing for the media. Yeah. So they should like it, right? But it's also uncontrollable, which makes a lot of big corporations really twitchy. Yeah. Um, and, and furthermore, you know, the, the consumer creators are using for-profit web spaces to post and access this content, which means that third parties like Facebook and Tumblr and YouTube are profiting from this fan creation process. And in some cases, like YouTube, the fan can be profiting indirectly through ad revenue. And in some cases, the third party <laughs> can claim some ownership of the fan's works depending on those terms of service. Right. So in your YouTube example... Let's say that I create a YouTube video that is uh, deemed by the original uh, owner of the work that I have incorporated in my video mm-hmm. to be, uh, you know, not transformative or derivative or whatever. Uh, they're not going to pursue legal action. They instead go through YouTube. YouTube actually allows for that owner of the original work to gen- to gather the revenue generated by that the one that I created. Mm-hmm. So if I create if I create something that uh, pulls a ton of video from Star Wars, as an example. Like and from I, the new Star Wars trailer, for example. Sure. And let's say that the, the my video is not appreciably that much longer than the trailer, and the trailer takes up a good deal of my video, then it could very well be that if I decide to run an ad in front of it, instead of taking it down, instead of blocking me, the the owner says, all right, well, just any revenue that that video generates send it to me instead and they could totally do that mm-hmm. you know so um and i think a lot of us would argue that's depending upon the the extent of that use that might be kind of fair kind, Depen- kind of the best yeah. of all possible tricky sticky situations it's definitely yeah. better than getting sued yeah there's another aspect to this that is interesting in theory and i don't want to be too explicit about what i mean but there are certain types of perhaps transformative works that could take somebody's intellectual property and do something new with it in a way that the original creator really might not like on a purely thematic level. You're talking slash fic. Yeah. Mainly. Yeah. Uh, Stuff like that. Okay. So imagine I uh, write a series of stories online that are about, I don't know, Darth Vader and Boba Fett being lovers. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
and I end up making a good bit of money with this. What's by, Lucas by selling it independently, like on your yeah, like asking yeah, yeah, for yeah. donations, maybe or, or sure. Okay. What what does Lucasfilm have to say about that? I I'm pretty sure they're going to send you a cease and desist. Yeah, well, if I mean, and, and the key is if you're making money off of it, and yeah. that that's really the key to any of this is is that I mean, kind of the rule of of thumb is that if you're not profiting from it, most companies won't go after yeah, you. Yeah, they just sort of they they assume that the effort of doing so is greater than any benefit they stand to in the case of. of getting you to stop doing mm-hmm. what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, if it's something that ends up being like, you know, it's, it's again, fostering the community, they may think, well, that's not really where we're never going to go in that direction. We're never going to create anything officially that's in that same vein because that's not what, what this, this universe or story is about from our perspective as the owners of that intellectual property. But we're also not going to stop people from doing it because there's no uh, actual harm done to the brand or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Then chances are nothing's going to happen. Yeah. In, in general, in fact, uh, from from having kind of listened in on conversations that that authors were having on the on the Internet, a lot of authors these days uh, stay as far away from fan fiction of their works as possible, because if they do read something in a fan work and wind up incorporating any element of that into a later work of their own, they have violated copyright. They can <laughs> transversely violate copyright. Yeah. Law. Exactly. Man. Yeah. Even though they created the work that was transformed, if they copy the transformed work, that's a violation of copyright. Mm hmm. Um, so, yeah, works. do not send your ideas for the Dresden files, for example, into Jim Butcher, because. Right. He'll just dislike you. This is the same reason why uh, if you ever create, you want to write a script on spec for a television series, it might be a better idea to send a script for a different TV series mm-hmm. to that creative team to show you what, show them what your writing skills are like and how you put a story together because most of those companies won't even look at an on-spec yeah. script for their series for fear of that very thing happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, if you want to learn more about this general topic of, of fan created works, a guy named Henry Jenkins has written a whole lot about it, um, and, and has really interesting, savvy things to say. So I recommend looking him up if you're curious about it. Cool. So, uh, one of the things we wanted to wrap up with was what, what would happen? What, wouldn't it be interesting if somehow there could be a monumental shift? In the government's view of the value of copyright, what if we were to see an overcorrection or maybe just a correction, depending upon your point of view? I'm sure the corporations would consider this an overcorrection, but a correction to move it back toward more what it was originally intended to be, a 14-year yeah. period of protection. Uh, I Well, I, I could be convinced otherwise if somebody had a really good argument they wanted to offer me, but I think that would be a much better situation, even just the original 14 years and that's it. Mm-hmm. I think it seems like that's enough. I mean, if your work is successful, you can make a decent amount of money off of it in 14 years. That seems to me a totally reasonable amount of time for something to be protected by copyright. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's I, I could also I, I could argue, you know, if if you're Van Goeing it and you really don't hit popularity until very late in your life, if not at all. Um, Maybe in that case, there could even be some kind of clause of some kind like uh of like I, I, how many billions of dollars uh you know you you if, if you hit a cap of how much this artwork is worth right maybe i mean i it's it's harder with art it's harder with pieces of art because 
that's a one thing that you can sell or prints of that thing. Obviously, if people are making prints of it, that would be different because if it's out of the copyright and everyone can make a print of that work, mm -hmm. then you wouldn't see any uh, revenue from it if it has already passed that 14 years. Oh, um, uh, well, I mean, you can still see revenue from something that people have made prints of. That's certainly not. Well, if it's out of copyright, they can make prints of it themselves and not pay you anything. Well, yeah, but the original artwork, that we, we, we've argued about this before, actually, on the show. Uh, the, the original Van Gogh is obviously worth more sure. than a print of it because sure. there's magical properties involved in the Van right. Gogh painting. But the, the original Van Gogh painting will only be sold by the owner once and then it's over. That's true. So if you've created this original work before you made it famous and you sold it for a pittance because you hadn't yet made your name. Sucks to be you. Yeah, that's that's the way life works, baby. Is the way <laughs> the way I look at that. So I, I actually wouldn't mind seeing this return either. To the, I mean, as someone who creates stuff, uh, I obviously see the value again of having that protection. But I I also don't think it necessarily needs to last my entire lifetime plus seventy years. Yeah, well, working in the space we do, we can see it from both sides. I mean, we would like to be able to. In a, not just rip people off, but to fairly use works without having to worry about, oh, is somebody going to try to sue us? Yeah, like, yeah. Tell us if, to if take I, this down? Yeah, if I had sung Happy Birthday, Heaven Forbid, on this podcast, would they sue us? And yeah. I think the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to be able to avoid that kind of chilling effect. But at the same time, yeah, you do want to have your works protected for a reasonable amount of time mm. that you can make revenue on. Uh, 14 years seems to me like a good balance. 28 years, if you want to be more generous. Real safe, yeah. How could, how could you need it to be longer than 28 years? Yeah. I, well, I would agree with, I would agree with 28 years. I, I, I'm thinking that if I ever created something that was actually worth money. <laughs> yeah. I, how would I feel about that? Again, we're, <laughs> of course, we are looking at this from the perspective of individuals and not of a giant corporation that Oh, sure. It's going to exist perpetually without us. Mm -hmm. Is that our so, job here? We need to, what would the corporations want? What would they feel? <laughs> not so much, not so much that's our job, but something that is a consideration. Like if you sit there and think, all right, if I had formed this corporation and the purpose of the corporation is to make money and way of making money is to protect your assets, then you, you start to understand why certain decisions are being pushed for. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but you I understand why it's happening. I think they should create some more art. <laughs> I agree. I Not think they should Not just ride too. on Steamboat Willie's coattails forever. One last point, and, we, and we've talked a little bit about this uh, before in our 3D printing related episodes, I think way back when. Um, so technology keeps making pirating or sharing, depending on what side of the argument you're on, easier. So do you guys think that media corporations are ever going to catch up to the distribution speed that fans these days require and expect? No. Well, I think I think they'll no. I think they'll catch up, but they'll only catch up to the, you know, the the transmission speeds of like three years ago mm. type stuff. It'll yeah. always be something that's going to. Either, you know, either we get to a point where it's essentially instantaneous delivery, in which case there's there's not much you can do about it anyway, uh, and it's, we're pretty close to that right now, honestly. Well, well, I, I mean, I mean more in the more in the sense of, um, you know, a movie comes out and people want to see it. Yeah, and some people are willing to go to a movie theater and see it. Some people are willing to go on Amazon and rent it. 
And some people are going to download a stolen copy well, of it. Well, the argument there is, I mean, th- this is a slippery slope argument where you say that any pirated version is lost revenue, which is not the case. Because you cannot prove that a stolen view of a film or listen uh, uh, an experience of listening to a song is a replacement have, of monetary right that, yeah. that otherwise that person would have spent the money yeah. to experience that and Th- because this experience was worth free to me but it is not worth nine dollars so the problem there is that it if the person was not going to buy it either way then you haven't lost revenue uh, you you know it's irritating that someone's experiencing something that you've set a price on and they're doing it for free but it's not like if they hadn't done that, you would have made that sale. So th- this is a this is a real argument that uh, the U.S. Office of Ethics looked into about how there were claims from the music industry and the movie industry about how much revenue was being lost due to piracy. And the conclusion was you cannot come up with a number because you cannot determine that every uh, uh, every instance of something being stolen would have otherwise been an actual sale. Yeah, it goes back to not being able to predict behavior. And it goes back to it being digital rather than physical, right? Mm-hmm. Because if it's physical, then clearly you can't sell a physical thing that's been stolen from you. You don't have it to sell it anymore. So if I'm selling CDs and I have 10 CDs and Sticky Fingers Lauren comes in and steals <laughs> one of them, I now have nine <laughs> CDs. I can no longer sell 10. But if I do digital copies and Lauren copies it, I haven't lost anything. I still have the original code. I can still sell those instances to everyone else. So it's a different experience than when you had a physical good in your hands. Yeah, it reminds me of, uh, I believe it was a bit by the comedian Mindy Kaling, who was talking about that uh, that old commercial in the movie theaters. It's like, you wouldn't steal a car. Yeah. You wouldn't steal a purse, but you'll pirate a movie. And then she thought, you know... I would steal a car if all I had to do was touch the car and then the car could be mine forever and the person could keep their car. Right. <laughs> right. It is a very, very different case. And so, I mean, does piracy result in lower revenue? We don't know. We honestly don't know the answer to that. It, the answer is probably a little bit. But to what extent? Or We don't know. It could be a significant amount. It could be a very small amount, relatively speaking. There's also argument to be made that pirates tend to be people who will go out and buy the stuff they love, that the initial piracy is them sampling stuff. And then the things they like, they actually go out and support. And there's some evidence for that as well. Now, clearly, there have not, been a couple case studies. Yeah. yeah, there's not like every pirate has a heart of gold and is going to totally shell out the bucks for the stuff they love. There are going to be some people who are going to try and take anything they can get for free. Uh, the the alternative to that, as far as I see from the corporation's perspective, is make your stuff as easy to buy as possible. Put it on as many platforms as possible. Price it reasonably. Don't add a ton of DRM to it that's going to make the experience negative for people who legitimately purchased your product. The easier you make something to buy, the more likely someone will buy it. Which is a little outside the copyright discussion, but it it does tie into it. I mean, oh, piracy I, and copyright do are very closely related. I think I, I I did want to bring it up because I do think that it's a contributing factor to what a lot of corporations are fighting for when sure. they fight for copyright. Right, and it'll mm-hmm. definitely be an element that they will argue whenever they advocate for stricter copyright. You right, know, res- right. They, you know, they're going to be going, yeah. Well, we're losing all of this. Yeah, and then, intangible money to yeah. intangible piracies. So. Right. Yeah, and I mean that's it's. I can definitely see where that argument could be made, uh, not legitimately in my view, but I can see how it could be made. 
what is the future of uh, watching? I don't know the next star Star Wars movie filmed on a camcorder on some Chinese YouTube. It's not in my future because I refuse to do that. You know, I think that the experience is going to get a lot better as, as <laughs> cell phone cameras get yeah. better. Cell phone cameras yeah. improve. Look, you've got yeah, video trans, stabilization trans, technology. Translation improves. Let's, it's not going to be do not want. Guys, this is how 3D happened. <laughs> All right. Do you really want the next 3D to happen because we're talking about how easy it'll be to pirate movies? <laughs> no. I don't want another 3D. So let's let's no. just, you know. All right. So let's wrap this up. Dave. Yes. We got we got an excellent discussion out of this, an epic, excellent discussion. So thank you so much for sending in that email. We really appreciate it. If you have a question, a comment, you want to know how something's going to work in the future, just send us a message. That email address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com or drop us a line. <laughs> Joe is in the background giggling about do not want. Yeah, Sorry, please, please continue. I'm, I'm going to try. I'm so close. <laughs> or drop us a line on Twitter, Facebook, or Google+. At Twitter and Google+, we are fwthinking. Search for fwthinking on Facebook. We will pop right up, and we'll be giggling to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? 
a wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.